0: Welcome to my podcast where the dark corners are. And I am your Dark Travels hostess. And tonight, we have a Serial Killers with Sierra. Yeah! Special
1: episode. <laughs> <laughs> I love that intro. Every time. <laughs> so how are you? It's been a minute. It has been a minute. I'm doing pretty good. How are you? Doing alright. I heard you got getting a job? I'm trying. Okay. So we'll see. I'm waiting on an email. okay. Okay. Yeah.
0: So today, we are... Revisiting, not a local because it's not local to us, but it's in the Northern California region. Yes. Anniversary of a very horrific, Mm -hmm. and I use that word light. No, well.
1: Definitely not lightly. It's, yeah. (laughs) And still unsolved. Correct. Mm -hmm. Correct. Which makes it kind of crazy.
0: Right. Just a a horrific um, crime. Yeah that happened to an unfortunate family that, like you said, is unsolved Mm -hmm. and really in the middle of nowhere. Yes. And the anniversary of this horrific event is actually on April 11th. Yes. So this is up serial killer Sierra's alley. It totally is. So she is driving the car, you know. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Good thing I have a driver's license.
0: (laughs) Her serial killing driver's license. As long as it's a hearse, it's fine. (laughs) So tell us about this. This, What are we really talking about here?
1: Okay, so really like the main title of this event, I guess, that occurred. It's called the Cabin 28 Murders. Okay. And it took place in Ketty in Northern California. Kind of between like, pretty much right between Quincy and Greenville. It's like a little uh, resort. Um, I don't believe it's still open as a resort, but most of the buildings are still there. Okay. So, and again, these places
0: are in Northern California that yes. I think was part of one of the many fires yes. that transpired over this last, well, last couple of summers.
1: Ooh, yeah. I didn't even think about that. I wonder if it's all still up there then. Right. Because I think the fire went right through that area. And just like didn't stop. Yeah. So well, I mean shoot, they saved what, thirty five houses in Greenville and that was it? Right. So
0: I I, I mean I don't normally go over I mean i not Yeah. So I mean I know on a map where they're yeah. located. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the fires were way over there. Yeah.
1: But I'm a, I'm very familiar with the area. My grandmother grew up there. Okay. So it was kinda you know, kinda devastating for her. It was very Yeah. Anyway. Right. so let's talk share tell us (laughs) so a little bit of background in july of 1979 glenna suzanne sue sharp left connecticut after separating from her abusive husband james sharp she at first relocated up to northern california where her brother don lived and rented out a small trailer at the claremont trailer village in quincy she stayed there for about a year and then moved into cabin 28 in kenny after the Plumas County Sheriff, Sheriff Sylvester Douglas Thomas, moved out. So he used to live in that cabin. He moved out. The Sharp family moved in. She lived there with her oldest child, John, age 15, her daughter, Sheila, age 14, her daughter, Tina, age 12, and her two youngest sons, Rick, age 10, and Greg, who was five. So she had five children? Is yes. That my might count correct? Okay. Yeah, all together. So we're going to get into like the actual event. April 11th of 1981, at around 10.30 or so a.m., Sue, Sheila, and Greg drove from their friend's house, the Meeks family, to go pick up Rick, who was attending baseball tryouts in Ganser Field in Quincy. They ran into John and his friend Dana Wall Wingate, who was 17. They were hitchhiking at the mouth of the canyon from Quincy to Ketty And so they, you know, ran into him like, oh, hey, it's my kid. Pick him up. And two hours later, so around 3.30-ish, John and Dana hitchhiked back to Quincy. To go meet with friends they were last seen in the downtown area together before the event happened sheila had plans to stay the night with the seabolt family who lived in an adjacent home in ketty so ketty was kind of like little cabins most of them were probably oh, 50 feet apart i'd say i mean they were pretty kind of clumped and close because they're in the middle of the woods on right. the side of a mountain <laughs> so you can't get too much space in between so she left at around 8 p.m leaving sue rick and greg and the younger boy's friend justin smart at the house Tina returned because she had been over at the Seabolt's home at 9.30, so about an hour and a half later. At around 7 a.m. April 12th, so the morning after, Sheila returned to cabin 28, and she was the first one to discover the bodies of her family. She found the bodies of Sue, John, and Dana in the living room. Rick, Greg, and Justin, however, were in the back bedroom, but they were unharmed. We're talking the younger ones. Yes, the three youngest ones were unharmed. So and that includes the friend and the two youngest yes. of Sue's children. Yes. Okay. Uh, the ten-year-old, the five-year-old, and I believe Justin was nine or ten. So Sheila rushed back to the Seabalt's house because, of course, you know, you're gonna panic. I would too. I mean, it, yeah. I, she's what fourteen? You said? Yeah, fourteen. I don't even
0: know how she managed to get back there. I.
1: She was a brave, brave little girl for sure. I. I couldn't even, I don't even think I could do it. I'm not. No, I think I would just break down and just sit there and cry. Right. Scream (laughs) my head off. Yeah, because I mean, it's, you know, your mom, your brother, and your brother's friend. And they're just dead in the living room. Murdered. Murdered. So Jamie Seabolt, the dad, retrieved three of the boys through the bedroom window. He later admitted to having briefly entered the home through the back door to see if anyone was still alive. Potentially contaminating the scene in the process. But I don't really blame him, you know. You have
0: to check to make sure, because if their lives are hanging on by a thread... Yes, for sure.
1: You know, you definitely got to check. So the investigators were called roughly an hour after Sheila first discovered the bodies. Deputy Hank Clement was the first one to arrive. He reported that there was blood everywhere. It was on the walls, the bottom of the victim's shoes, Sue's bare feet, the bedding in Tina's room, so the youngest daughter, on the furniture, the ceiling, the doors, and on the back steps. The blood patterns suggested that the victims had been moved and rearranged from the original positions in which they were murdered. John was closest to the front door. He was face up. His hands were blood covered and bound with medical tape. Blunt force trauma to the head was caused by hammers and his throat had been slit.
0: Wait uh, a minute. You said medical tape? Yes. Was Sue a nurse? No. So okay. they put, I mean,
1: that's kind of a... yeah. It's, I mean, granted, anybody can really buy medical tape. But that's but not a common purchase. No. no. Well, for some people it could be, but, I mean, I buy medical tape because I bound my heels because I have plantar fasciitis, and binding them works wonderfully. But, you yeah, know, so uh, I don't know if they just found it in the house. I don't know if the murderers brought it in, but it was there.
0: Well, I do have a question. Yeah. So bringing things in, mm-hmm. which is sometimes what they do. Yes. Whose hammers? Whose knives were used? Are you, are you getting to that? Yeah. Or, okay. Well, well, okay. I'm, I'm asking it. Okay.
1: <laughs> too many questions too soon, Vina. Down the road, I promise. <laughs> okay. Dana was found beside John, face down. His head was badly damaged and partially on top of a pillow. His neck had strangulation marks. His ankles were tied with electrical wire and also tied to John's ankles. So they were bound together. Sue was probably the worst. She was partially covered with a blanket. She was on her side near the sofa and naked from the waist down. She had been gagged with a blue bandana and her own underwear. She was stabbed in the chest. Her throat was stabbed horizontally. It went through her larynx and actually nicked her spine. So like half decapitated. The side of her head had the imprint matching the butt of a Daisy 880 Powerline BB rifle.
0: Now, did the boys own that or was it something that was brought? I believe that one the boys owned it. Okay. And you said that her underwear, her own underwear was shoved in her mouth? Along with a blue bandana. And she was naked from the waist down. Does that mean she was
1: raped? There was no signs, but. Really? Yeah. What year was this again? This was in 81. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. There was a steak knife bent at roughly a 30 degree angle on the floor. A butcher knife and a claw hammer were side by side on a small wooden table near the kitchen entryway.
0: So the killers just sat them there?
1: Yes. Like, this is what we used Basically displayed it, like, you know. Most arrogant to douchebaggery you could do. Right. You know, not take my word or weapon with me. I'm gonna just leave it here and make it look all nice. Asshole. Autopsies would later determine that Sue and John had died due to the blunt force trauma and Dana had actually died of asphyxiation. So And neither of the children were assaulted, I'm assuming. No. no. Okay. Uh, none of the three young boys. Three young boys were completely unharmed, which is kind of crazy, you know. I mean if you're gonna be a psychopath enough to, to murder these slaughter, people. Slaughter, right? Yeah. But where's Tina? That's what I was just getting to. Okay. It took them hours to realize that she was missing out of the house.
0: Oh.
1: Hours.
0: So when we say missing, what do we really mean by missing? That she had been kidnapped.
1: okay. They didn't find, like, I mean, they didn't really find any signs of, like, a struggle or anything. Um, I mean, other than, obviously, like, what happened with Sue and the boys. And they were all in the living room. Mm -hmm. Did Tina have her own room? Yes. And they had actually did find, they found blood in Tina's room. Okay. So, and like I said, like the blood pattern suggested that they had been murdered somewhere else and then dragged into the living room.
0: But even displayed. blood was on the ceiling. Yes. Was there
1: all the rooms, the living room, the bed? I mean, where was? I believe it was mostly in the living room for the ceiling splatter. But, I mean, you have to be swinging those hammers. Pretty hard. Oh, I can't. Ugh, ugh. This is like an anger thing. Yes. So the initial investigation was extremely botched. This whole thing was corrupt from the beginning. It's one of the most, like, dirty cases I think I've read. Involving law enforcement. Yes. It is insane. Why? I'll get into it a little bit later, but I do know one of the things that was stated, of course, you know, how rumors go, especially in a small town, that one of the main suspects was actually really good friends with sheriff thomas and supposedly thomas told him to get out of town because he knew that he was the main suspect that's disgusting yeah so during the initial investigation they didn't find any signs of force entry sheila and the seabolt family heard no commotion during the night but a couple living in cabin number 16 which was closer to cabin 28 than they were were awakened at about 1 15 a.m by what sounded like muffled screaming but they couldn't tell where it was coming from so they just went back to bed at what time at about 1 15 in the morning And I believe Sheila discovered them at 7 in the morning? Yeah, 7. I just, I don't know how you wouldn't, I mean, muffled screaming, just in the middle of the woods, randomly, you wouldn't call somebody? I don't know. And this is 81? Yeah. That just
0: seems odd to me. Mm -hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think, personally, I would at least, like, even, like, if you don't call, like, the emergency line, at least they'll call, like, the police station and be like, hey they're screaming happening out here. I don't know what's happening. And what's muffled screaming. Right? So um.
0: the young boys didn't even try to leave. I, I I can't even imagine if there's blood on the ceiling the amount of torture or I, the word that yeah. comes to mind is like punishment.
1: Yeah. And nobody heard Except for the one Cabin 16, they said that they heard muffled screaming. Okay. But one of the boys did hear something. I'll get into that here in a little bit. Okay. So Tina's jacket and her shoes, as well as a toolbox, were missing out of the house. The phone had been uh, taken off of the hook, and the cord had been cut. A lot of potential evidence was collected, but this was pre-DNA testing, so it wasn't helpful. Sheriff Thomas called the Sacramento Department of Justice, who, get this, sent two special agents from their organized crime unit. Not homicide. Organized crime. Yeah. Why As would, in the mafia? Yeah, that kind of stuff. Like, why would you not send a homicide for a homicide? That's a great question. That's a question I asked myself the entire time I was researching this. Is the sheriff still alive? I don't know. I know. I <laughs> mean, we're talking
0: over 41 years now. Yeah. In fact, the 41 mm-hmm. anniversary is the 11th. Yeah. I'm not entirely sure. I'd,
1: I'd have to look that up. I'm not
0: because even if he was in his 40s, it's the potential of him being alive. yeah
1: so I think he was like 20 or 30 at this point.
0: okay, but particular very particular and why would he request
1: that kind of a unit? That's what I want to know. why I mean it's like I said, it's dirty, 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 dirty. So Thomas interviewed Martin Smart, who was Justin's father, uh, one of the young boys that was there. Uh, Martin stated that the claw hammer, that a clawhammer had gone missing from his home. So that's super suspicious. He also provided endless clues that seem to throw suspicion away from himself. And why does anybody feel the need to do that? Unless they're guilty. Correct. Yeah. And he wait, that's his own son. Yes, yeah, so he's Martin Smart is one of the main suspects, along with a friend of his. And if he was the one that did it, it would totally explain why the boys weren't touched. Because he knew his son was in that room. So and he's a neighbor? Yes. So the Smarts lived, I think, a couple cabins down, I believe. Then, of course, you know, it would totally explain that if it was the main suspect dude, why the kids weren't touched. What would be his motive? I'll get into that. It's a whole (laughs) conspiracy theory. It gets nuts later Mm -hmm. on down the line. Rick and Greg stated that they were unaware of what had happened. So the two young boys, the 10 and the 5-year-old. Justin, however, gave conflicting stories, claimed that he had dreamed details of the murder, but later stated that he had actually witnessed what happened and Justin is but how old is he I believe he was nine or ten okay at the time so they actually put Justin under hypnosis to try to see like maybe they could you know subconsciously get the answer from him he claimed to have awoken to sounds coming from the living room he walked out there to see Sue and two men one with a mustache and short hair the other clean shaven with long hair arguing John and Dana then entered and began arguing along with the other two men A fight ensued, after which Tina entered the room and was then taken out of the back door by one of the men. So this is what Justin said that he saw under hypnosis. Composite sketches were produced by somebody named Harlan Embry, a man with no artistic skill and no training in forensic sketching. So some rando. Yes. And it was never explained why, when the Sheriff's Department had access to the Justice Department's and the FBI's top forensic artists. Why he declined. And they used just some random dude. And okay. like I've seen the sketches, they totally look like a cartoon. It's, like a kid's drawing. Yes. Okay. It's ugh. I don't know why. Again, dirty, 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 dirty.
0: Well, I mean, okay. I can't imagine how many crimes are going on in what's that, Plumas County? And you don't want to put your best foot forward. That tells that's tell that tells people something, right? And I mean, you had access to the
1: Department of Justice's forensic and artists the FBI. and, and FBI's. So. Why would you not use that? It's a, it's a tell. Mm -hmm. Super. Press releases stated that both men were in their late twenties to early thirties. One was between five foot 11 and six foot two with dark blonde hair. The other was between five foot six and five foot 10 with black greased hair. Then here's a really fun kicker. Sheriff Thomas resigned from the case three months later and took a job at the Sacramento Department of Justice. Mm. Yeah. Uh, His handling of the case was considered to be disastrous at best and corrupt at worst. And like I said earlier, supposedly he told Martin to leave town because they were friends. I mean, just this whole thing was just
0: so. So they were neighbors then to Uh, some degree, but obviously something a little bit more. Yeah. You're going to let them get away with the murder of three people and now a child's missing. Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm.
1: So we're going to skip ahead a little bit to April 29th, 1981. The FBI backed off of the search. The State Department of Justice, or they stated, that the Department of Justice was doing an adequate job and made the FBI's presence unnecessary. Why? Wouldn't you want everybody? I mean, so they did a grid research of a five-mile radius with police canines trying to find Tina. search was useless. They didn't find anything. So now we're going to skip ahead again. April 22nd, 1984. Three years and 11 days after the murders. May bottle collector found a cranium of a human skull and part of a mandible at Camp 18 near Feather Falls in Butte County, about 100 miles from Keddie. Um, shortly after announcing the discovery, before the remains were ID'd, Butte County Sheriff's Office received an anonymous phone call that stated, I was wondering if they thought of the murder up in Ketty up in Plumas County a couple of years ago, where a 12-year-old girl was never found. The call was recorded, but never followed up on. And the remains were confirmed to be Tina's in June of 1984. So they get this anonymous phone call that's like, hey, these remains were probably this Tina girl. And they do nothing with it. Nope. They record it, throw it in the evidence box, and leave it. Yeah.
0: (laughs) What else do you have to do that's more fucking important?
1: Right. And I mean, like, what the hell? That phone call straight up is like, "Hey, I'm pretty sure these remains are Tina's." Exactly. And, and like, hello. A week later, they're identified to be Tina's remains. What the fuck? Right. Near her, near the remains was a blue nylon jacket, a child's blanket, a pair of Levi Strauss jeans with a missing back pocket, and an empty medical tape dispenser. Remember, John <laughs> was tied with medical tape. Correct. And that's just—they never follow up on it. It's just, yeah. <sighs> Makes me really angry. It should. So now we're going to pop into the main suspect. So the main suspect was, as I stated earlier, Mr. Martin Smart and his ex-convict friend, John Bo Budabe. So next convict that tells you what kind of company he kept.
0: Now, do either one of these men, n- not that this necessarily negates anything, have a history of criminal activity?
1: John does. And or assault? Martin doesn't. John does. John was supposedly in like the mafia... And, like, a mob in Chicago, and he was a drug runner. So, basically, what you're saying
0: is the Sacramento sent a organized crime unit mm-hmm. to investigate a crime potentially committed by an organized crime personnel? Yeah, but
1: you still think they would send at least one homicide, though. Well, no, that's my point. Yeah. It, it, I'm telling you. I'm telling you, Vina. This shit is dirty. It is one of the dirtiest cases I've ever researched. And like I knew it was dirty before, you know, but like I didn't know it was this dirty until I did the amount of research that I did. Right. And it's just it it blows me away. It's infuriating oh, what it is. Like it yeah, like but I just I remember sitting there and I was just like, "Why? What the fuck?" Why? Why is this so corrupt and so dirty? What is wrong with people? Why would you protect anybody over this? Exactly. So, people stated that Martin, smart, hated Johnny Sharp, so the son, with a passion. Unknown why, but just that he hated him. Sheriff Thomas, who was a friend of Martin's, claimed that he personally interviewed Martin and that Martin had taken and passed a polygraph test. And do we have that evidence? No. Course, not okay. Mm -hmm. So, John Bo, as he's mostly known as, was a a known mob enforcer and had criminal ties to Chicago. Crazy, Marilyn Smart, Martin's wife, left Martin the day the murders were discovered. So, she probably knew something. Yes, Martin left. Where did she go? She just left, she got out of town, took off. Martin, however, left for Reno, and Bo left to Chicago shortly after the murders. So, they all got out of town. But again, what was the motive? Oh, I'll. I'll get to that. It's some crazy bullshit. <laughs> Marilyn, the wife, stated that she was almost positive that it was Martin and Beau who had committed the murders, stated that she had left them at the bar in Quincy the night of the murders, and she was woken around one or two in the morning to Martin and Beau burning something on the wooden stove.
0: Inside her cabin?
1: Inside of her cabin. Marilyn Smart had actually sent a handwritten letter signed by Martin to the Plumas County Sheriff's Office. The letter stated, I've paid the price of your love. And now that I've bought it with four people's lives, you tell me we are through. Great. What else do you want? That's pretty, that's pretty damning. I mean, that's a confession right there. Yeah, It was not treated as a confession, nor nor was it followed up on. Because why would you? (laughs) I Just. And then it turns out that Martin had actually seen a therapist at the Reno VA because he was a veteran and he had confessed to the therapist, I killed the woman and her daughter, but I didn't have anything to do with the boys stated that Tina was killed to prevent her from identifying him. She had witnessed the whole thing, is what he stated. But you know that's even, that's still, why do you remove her? Right. That doesn't
0: make any sense. I don't know. You kill everybody, you're 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 basically hammering on. Yeah. But you take, what was she, 12? She. Yeah, 12. N- no, you didn't kill her because she was a witness. No. You did something else horrible to her. Oh, I wouldn't doubt it. I would not doubt it in
1: the slightest. The Department of Justice was alerted to confession in 81 but had dismissed it as hearsay.
0: The Department of Justice ignored the therapist? Yep. Telling
1: them? Yep. Said it was hearsay.
0: The professional?
1: Yeah. Mandated reporter who had no reason to lie. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Martin Smart died of cancer in Portland, Oregon, in June 2000. I hope he fucking suffered. Me fucking too. And John Bo Budabe died in Chicago in 1988 of unknown causes. So what really sucks is like we can't... You know, no justice was served if it was those two, which I'm like 90% sure that it was. And no justice was given to that family. So here again, it goes back to why. Yeah, nobody, it's just, it's, mm. so, however, it was, the case was reopened in 2013. Eight by, years ago? Or, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, nine years ago? Yes. By a special investigator, Mike Gamberg, and the new Plumas County Sheriff, Haywood who was 16 at the time of the murders and knew the sharps personally. A hammer matching the one that Martin said that he had lost was found in a dried-out local pond on March twenty-fourth, two
0: 2016.
1: All of a sudden. Yeah. That's kind
0: of... Did they think there was more than one weapons used and some of the weapons were missing?
1: Yes. Okay. So the most widely accepted theory of why the murders took place was that there was supposedly a love triangle between Martin, Marilyn, and Sue. How does that work? He killed. He supposedly killed for her. Yeah. So what? Sue and Marilyn were involved. Sue and Martin were involved, and supposedly Marilyn got pissed off. You know, you're cheating on me, and blah blah blah. Is and- there
0: actual evidence to prove that? I mean, they don't have cell phones at this point. No. in Trying to prove, you know, messages back and forth. Yeah. No.
1: But no. But the like I said, it's the most widely accepted theory. So Martin and Sue were having the affair, and Sue was counseling Marilyn to leave Martin who Marilyn said was abusive. And, you know, Sue had left, already left one abusive partner. So,
0: you know, she yeah, kind but knows. why would she hook up with the second abusive partner? In my opinion, she left one part of the country, came to the other side to get away. Yeah. Why would she get involved again with somebody? But she was not married to him. No. She didn't have any financial.
1: No, I don't know. So Martin enlisted Beau, who had lived with the Smarts for 10 days before the murders. How did they
0: know him? Because, again, for mm-hmm. people who don't know this, Katie, Ketty Ketty. Ketty is literally in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. What the fuck is the mafia person
1: <laughs> doing in the middle of the fucking trees? Well, I think he had been caught doing some bullshit in California, went to prison, was released, but didn't go back to Chicago or anything, so he was just here. And, I mean, granted, they were pro- they probably met in, like, Quincy or whatever.
0: But it, in, in 1981... Mm-hmm. Quincy, which is not a small town today, yes, and I think some of it burned. Yeah, I can't imagine it being bigger (laughs) forty years ago. No, probably not. But I, I don't understand what the why John Mm -hmm. would even be in this.
1: (laughs) This is literally in the middle of the (laughs) woods. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe he liked to go hunting and fishing. (laughs) This is very
0: baffling. Like this guy <laughs> is even in 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 my opinion, basically wood Timbuktu. Yeah, I mean woods Timbuktu.
1: Who knows? Okay. I mean, this dude was, obviously this dude was jacked up in the brain. So who knows what the hell he was thinking coming up here? So special investigator Gamberg has been quoted saying that the Department of Justice and Thomas uh, Thomas's run sheriff department covered it up. Is the way that it sounds to me. He criticized the quality of the initial investigation, stating you could take someone just coming out of the academy and they'd have done a better job, which doesn't surprise me. Sounds pretty obvious. Yes. And then The newest thing that I could find, and never stated anything else other than this, was in 2018. DNA has pointed to other suspects who may have had a hand in the murders and are still alive. Gamberg stated, It is my belief that there are more than two people who were involved in the totality of the crime the disposal of the evidence, and the abduction of the little girl. We're convinced that there are a handful of people that fit those roles who are still alive today. But they haven't pursued it. No. Why? I don't know. That was the last thing I could find was 2008. You know,
0: I wonder, and this is something that I've really been tempted to do, and maybe I might do, Mm -hmm. is the FBI has, if they have information under the Freedom Act, you can request that information. Yeah.
1: I mean, wouldn't it be a bad idea.
0: I mean, if they're acting like, you know, this is a closed case. Yeah. And it was 41 years ago, four decades. Mm-hmm. And your two main suspects, in theory, are dead. Yes. I mean, they're not dead. We know they're dead. <laughs> that's not in theory. But the, the in theory, the suspects. Yes. Are dead. Yes. Period. I, I. This is what I don't understand sometimes about law enforcement. Mm-hmm. Why do they hold on to information for so long? Because, like, for example, and this is getting off a little topic, yeah. of course, but, like, the Black Dahlia murders. Mm-hmm. Supposedly they have a whole room full of evidence. Yeah. Why haven't you released it? has been over, I think, 70? Yeah, something like that. Years? hmm Everybody should be dead. Yeah. In theory. Theory, yeah. And if they're not dead, they're in some nursing home. Right.
1: Being wheeled around. I don't know it's just it's mm, mm, mm. and then the last thing I could find about the three remaining children Sheila Rick and Greg they left California to go live with their aunt however they went to foster care after they arrived because their aunt had several children and couldn't handle anymore Sheila has actually given several interviews and continues to work with the Plumas County Sheriff's Office however she does not speak to her brothers about it as she wants to protect them I don't blame her. I mean, they were 10 and 5 when they lost everything. And then the thing that really baffles me was Cabin 28 was demolished in 2004. Taking any other remaining potential evidence with it. Who demolished it? I couldn't find who did. My guess would be whoever owned uh, the resort at the time. So getting back to the
0: more recent investigation, the investigator came to the conclusion that more than two people were involved And And why aren't they
1: questioning that person? Uh, I mean, they could possibly, but they're just not, you know. Releasing that information. Yeah, Uh, This is so sad. Mm -hmm. And I mean, and it's been, you know. (laughs) I mean, I just I I, I can't I can't even imagine, you know, your family gets taken from you, you know, 40 plus years ago. And there's still nothing to show justice, nothing, not an ounce of justice. Just, it's it's devastating. And there was actually a little bit of, like, media influence. The, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie, uh, The Strangers? Like a horror movie? Like those three guys on the mask come and they chase that family in, like, the cabin? No, I don't think I have. Yeah, so it's a movie called The Strangers. It's based very, very loosely off of Cabin 28. 2004? Oh, yeah, no, I haven't seen
0: this movie. Yeah. I have not seen this movie.
1: Yeah. 2008, hey, I was right. But, yeah. So, there was that one. And then I will say there's a movie called Cabin Twenty Eight. Never watch it. Never, ever watch that movie. It is like two hours of your life. You'll never get back. Oh my god, it's so bad, Vina. Okay. <laughs> it is so bad. Like I watch like and there's an actual like there's a documentary called Cabin Twenty Eight, you know, where like they do the interviews. And they interviewed Marilyn and Sheila gets interviewed in it too. So the documentary is good. The movie, which is supposed to be like entirely based off of the mo- like the murders. It's awful. It is so bad. Okay, something to avoid. Yes.
0: Well, all right. So this is it. This is the unfortunate Kenny Murders of Northern California. Mm-hmm. That had happened on April eleventh, twelfth ish.
1: Uh, the night of April 11th, morning of
0: April 12th. And and it's a uh, sad anniversary yes. is about to happen. So 41 years and still no justice. That's disgusting. It is very disgusting. And sad. Yes. All right. So that's what we have for you tonight. On to business. Facebook, Facebook, Facebook. We have a Facebook page. And if you are curious or interested and would like to join, send a request. But in the meantime, if you have a another unsolved but probably solved mm-hmm. and reality solved murder you'd like for us to delve into, even want Sierra to do the research, send me a request at where the dark corners are at gmail.com.
1: Final thoughts, Sierra. You know, with this being an unsolved case, I would just like to say if anybody knows anything, you know, come forward. Get a hold of the Plumas County Sheriff's Office. You know, let them know what you know if you know something. Or at least
0: contact the more recent investigator. Yeah. Well, he is with the sheriff's. He's working with the sheriff's. His name is Mike Gamberg. And, I mean, I don't know why they're withholding the DNA information, but. Yeah. Either way. So, until next time, please remember, only the few can find the beauty in the darkness, which is why we hope to meet you where the dark corners are. Out, so I'm going to.